from St. Luke's Gospel, and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Feels kind of weird, man. You ever been out, we haven't been out, had a car for a while, and you get back in the driver's seat, and it feels weird to be back in again? It feels that way for me now. I've not preached in two weeks. I had that near miss with the coronavirus. Thanks be to God I was spared. But here we are again, and I actually am a little bit, uh, I have a confession to make, actually, because we've been saying all Advent these past four weeks, the four weeks before Christmas, that the season of Advent is in fact not about the birth of Jesus. We've been saying that over and over again, that Advent is not about Jesus' first coming, but about his second coming. And we've been beating that drum, and Father Greater has done a very fine job beating that same drum ever since Turkey Day, since Thanksgiving. And, it's, and it reminds me of a bumper sticker I saw once, the season of Advent, and what, how we approach it. And the bumper sticker said this, Jesus is coming. Look busy. And so here we've been, I hope you've at least gotten that message that Advent is not about the birth of Jesus, but about his second coming. And then on the fourth Sunday of Advent, we talk about the birth of Jesus. <laughs> I got to say, you know, every year I, I, this kind of bangs around in my cranium. And I actually went back this year and looked. And if you don't know this, the 1979 prayer book has this lesson for the fourth Sunday of Advent, the Annunciation to Mary. But historically, in the prayer books of the Anglican Communion, for Advent is the story of John the Baptist sending a message to Jesus saying, are you the one to come or do we wait for another? So somebody somewhere, some goody two-shoes, squeaked the baby Jesus in on Advent 4. But, friends, all is not lost. <laughs> we are still going to talk about the end of the world. But we're going to do it a little differently. This took a while. <laughs> we're going to look at, we're still going to talk about the season of Advent as Christ's second coming, but we're going to look at it from the lens of the people involved in his first coming. Specifically, our case study this morning is Mary, Miriam in Hebrew, his mother. Because these people, Mary, Joseph, Jesus, the shepherds, the wise men, all that stuff, all those people, they're real, real people. And how they respond, how they responded to Jesus' first coming might be helpful for you and I as we wait for his second. You with me? This took some doing. All right, here we go. Three things I want to look at this morning from the story of Mary and her, her confrontation, frankly, with this angel from God. Uh, three points today, as we wait for Christ's second coming, how the people responded to his first coming. Three things. First, I'm going to look at the fear of the unknown. Point number one, the fear of the unknown. Point number two, the enormity of God's promise. And then finally, the assurance of his evidence. So the, the fear of the unknown, Mary's fear of the unknown. Then secondly, the enormity of God's promise to her and to you. And then finally, the evidence that God gives to her and to you. So here we go. You all know the story, this famous story of Mary and the angel Gabriel. Gabriel comes and announces to Mary, hey, Mary, I got an idea. And she says, oh, I'm in the middle of dinner. What can I do for you, sir? And the angel says to her, you are going to be the mother of the Messiah, the king of the Jews. 
And not only that, that's big enough, right? He says this, ki- this kid is going to be the son of God. And you've got to realize Mary, the Greek word is the word gune, virgin, a 14, 13, 14, 15-year-old girl from Pig's Knuckle, Arkansas, right? Nazareth. P- Nazareth is a nowheresville, man. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. It's a small town. She's a coal miner's daughter, right? She is. She's a, she's a nobody. And this angel comes to her and says, Greetings. I love it. It's so sanitized in the English, but I'm going to show you something. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Well, you've probably seen this annunciation it's known as. The annunciation to Mary. Hey, Mary, you're going to be the mother of God. You've probably seen a picture of it, right? And typically, Mary is typically a stained glass or a painting or something. And, and Mary is praying very devoutly, right? Her hands folded and a little beam of light in front of her. She's got this little smile on her face and she's just, she's just couldn't be happier, right? That's the image we have in our minds of this story of the angel coming to Mary. But friends, man, nothing could be farther from the truth than that image. Nothing. I'll show you. Luke says in verse 29 that Mary, look at it again. He appeals to her, hey Mary, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. She's confused. What is going on here? And, he, and it says here in verse 29 that she was, I love this, it's so antiseptic, greatly troubled at his saying. Have you ever said that in your life? I was greatly troubled at his saying. You ever said that? I've never said that. But that Greek word for troubled, and it's greatly troubled, it's an emphatic in the Greek that Greek word for troubled is the word dastrasu, and it means terrified. Don't miss this. Greatly troubled. Yeah, okay. No, man, she's scared out of her mind. She's really afraid. I mean, she sees this angel, which God knows what it even looks like, and it says to her she's going to be the son of God, and she's really, really scared, greatly terrified it says. And who can blame her? You know, whenever, whenever angels appear to somebody in Scripture, the first thing they say is, hey, you got a sandwich? No. Don't be afraid. And the angel appears to Mary. She is greatly distressed, and he says to her, Mary, don't be afraid. Why would you say that to somebody unless they are afraid? I want to stop there and just make this point, right? Because we're not really talking about the birth of Jesus yet. We will on this week. But I want you to see that well, as we wait for Christ's second coming, something really important here that we can learn from Mary. What does it mean to be afraid? Distrasso. I mean, what does it mean to be really afraid, really terrified? What does it mean to be afraid? And it sounds like a simple question, but it's actually not. What does it mean to be fearful of something? Well, what it means, I mean, think of something that you fear right now, and it can be anything. It can be the monsters under your bed for a little kid. They're not really there, by the way, boys and girls. Uh, Maybe you fear the loss of a job. Maybe you fear the death of somebody that you love. I don't care what that fear is. What makes something fearful, listen, is that something fearful is something that threatens you that you cannot control. The things you fear and the thing that Mary fears with this angel appearing to her, what makes her terrified is it's something which threatens her and she can't control it. Friends, all fear, all fear, all your fear is a result of being confronted with something that you cannot control. 
Now, nobody in this room has ever been confronted with an angel coming to them and saying, hey, I got an idea. You're going to be the mother of God. That only happened once. But every person in this room has the same dynamic in their life as we wait for Christ to return. I do, and so do you. And that dynamic is that we are confronted with things that we fear. So what do you fear? What do you fear? And there's lots of stuff. It doesn't just be one thing, but just pick one or two, right? What are the things that you fear? And I want you to stop there and realize something, that when Christ returns, between then and now, he is going to deal with you in that fear. All of Christianity, the whole Christian walk, is about learning to, having fear, but learning to trust God. That's the whole point. Think of a place in your life that you fear right now. I want you to realize something important with Mary or you, that all growth, all growth is struggle whether it's faith or in anything, right? Dieting, exercise, studying for school. It's struggle. All growth is struggle. And the Christian walk is struggle. That we are forced to confront things that we are afraid of. And you got only two options, only two. Stay stuck or move forward. When something hits you that you're afraid of, you got two options. Stay fearful or trust God. That's what Mary does. She trusts him. She says, according to your word. I've never said that either according to your word. That is a Greek way of saying, I have no idea what you're telling me. I'm a virgin. I'm not married. Mother of God. Wow. <laughs> okay. But according to your word means I have no idea what you're saying to me, but I'm going to do it because I trust you. I will do this according to your word. So friends, here's the thir- first thing. What we can learn from Mary is quite frankly to confront our fear. Name it and claim it, the Baptists would say. And then also see how that fear leads us to trust in God. That leads me to my second point, the enormity of the promise to Mary. As we consider the things that we fear, I want you to also consider the enormity of the, prom- the promise given to her and you. I'll show you. In the midst of the uncertainty, her fear, the angel says to her, Behold, Mary. That word behold is a Greek word, eduo, and it's an emphatic. It's a super important word. It's archaic in English, but in Greek it's important. It means, listen to what I'm saying to you. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. The name Jesus means God saves. Now put yourself in her shoes. Put yourself in her shoes, right? It's a 14-year-old girl doing the dishes, and out of, some, out of nowhere, or whatever she's doing, I don't know what she was doing, <laughs> playing on her cell phone, and she's like most 14-year-old girls, she's on social media, right? But Mary's minding her own business. This angel comes to her, and she's an insignificant person from an insignificant place, and she's just been told she's going to be the son of God. I want you to consider the enormity of that promise that God made to her. Let me ask you a question. If you were Mary, if you were Mary, would you have believed it? Nope. And I'm, I'm going to show you in a minute. I'm not sure she does either entirely. That's not the point. I'll show you. But I want you to consider something. When God makes these promises to us, Mary or you, we can say it, we can, under, we can hear it, we can understand it, but, you know, deep down, we don't really believe it all the way down, do we? Because our fear blinds us, man. Our fear of this world blinds us to God's working in our lives. I mean, how many of you, how many of us live with the real and constant reminder. How many of us live our lives knowing that we are reconciled to God and that death can't even stop you and that Christ will return and set the world to rights and that you've got nothing to worry about at all? How many of us really live in that space? 
You know how many? None of us do. I don't. I wish I did, but I don't, honestly. But those, those promises that God gives to us, they are enormous promises that even death itself has been defeated. My God, if we really believe that, how much differently would we live? If you don't fear death, what is, what's left? Nothing. But I want you to show, this, this tension here is that God makes these enormous promises to Mary and you and me. And our fear, our fear blinds us. It's a great book that I read many times. It's not a great book, it's a good book. Called Good to Great by Jim Collins. And he, he's an organizational uh, guy, which is what my degree is in. I love organizational psychology, it's my thing. And he writes, a, it's a great quote. It's a good, a good nugget to sort of put on your refrigerator. He writes, fear breeds mediocrity. He's right. Fear breeds mediocrity. Why? Because when we're afraid, we're stuck. We are stuck. Fear keeps you stuck, frozen. It's kind of, he, Collins goes on to give an illustration of an egg, right? An egg, a chicken egg, or a turkey egg, or whatever. An egg. <laughs> what kind of egg, Father? I don't care, whatever egg you want. But he takes a picture, an image of an egg, and an egg sits there as it's incubating, and on the outside, it looks the same. It's an egg, but inwards, inside of that egg, it's changing, it's growing, it's struggling. And then suddenly one day, poof, outbursts a fuzzy chirpy chicken, right? Or turkey or duck, whatever it is. From the outside, it seems like nothing's going on, but inside, you see, there's this huge transformation, both in Mary's heart and in yours and in mine. Completely unseen by the outside world. I cannot help but imagine that God had been working on Mary and continues to work on her, as we'll see in a second, continues to open Mary's eyes not only to acknowledge her fear, but to recognize the enormity of the promise he has made to her, gradually and slowly building her, forming her, shaping her in the way that he wants her to be shaped, just like God is doing to you. For most of us, friends, we stay stuck. Our fear blinds us, keeps us. There's another image in Scripture. We, I preached about this on Advent 1, that we're always doing this. We're always looking down, and Advent calls us to look up and hope. I want you to consider a couple of things here. I'm going to move on to my third point. This enormity of God's promise. Here's a couple. There's lots. Here's just two. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says this. Listen. If you're a Christian, then the following is true. All things work to good for those who trust the Lord. Period. That's what Paul says. Romans 8, 28. Listen to that again. You probably have that on your refrigerator. It's an enormous promise. All things work to good for those who trust the Lord. That word is tauta. It means everything, everything, no matter what happens to you, like that little chicken in that egg, or duck or turkey, whatever it is, <laughs> that works to good for those who trust him. It's not true for everyone, but it is true for Christians. That, in, that even in our struggling and our suffering and our, and our challenges and confronting the things of this world, that all these things, everything, the, bad, the good, the bad, and the ugly, works to good for those who trust. Works to good. Mary trusted God, right? She didn't really understand it all. Didn't make a whole lot of sense. But Mary knew God, and more importantly, she trusted him, and she knew that no matter what happens to her, all things would work to good because she trusted God. I will do it, God. She says, according to your word, I will do it, not because it makes sense, but because I trust you. 
When was the last time you stopped to trust, stopped and paused and made a decision to trust God? When's the last time? If never, I got some homework for you. <laughs> When's the last time you, you stopped and read, heard something or heard something in Scripture or read something or heard a psalm being sung and you thought, my God, that's enormous what, that, what the Scripture is saying to me. I'm going to trust it. I may not understand it. It may not feel good. It may not really sink in yet, but I'm going to trust it because I know it's true. This morning, some of you and maybe even many of you are struggling with something right now, something which God has placed before you which you cannot fix. You cannot solve it. It doesn't make any sense to you. Sort of like a virgin birth, right? But I want you to consider the enormity of God's promise to you. All things work to good for those who trust the Lord. And then finally, this is the best part of the story, and people miss this nugget. We see Mary's fear, we see God's promise towards her, and then we see the assurance of evidence. Look at this. There's an interesting little detail. Most, I've never heard anybody preach this before. Uh, an interesting little detail. Mary says, behold, I will do this according to your word. I have no idea what this means, but I trust you will do it. And the angel says, you know, here's the thing, Mary. Your aunt Elizabeth, who couldn't have kids, she's six months pregnant. Behold, Gabriel says, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called Barons. Do you see it? It's really subtle. She says, I'll do it, and then out of nowhere, Gabriel says, oh yeah, we were Aunt Elizabeth. She's pregnant. She's, un she's infertile. Always has been. It's also postmenopausal, but guess what? She's going to have a baby. His name's John the Baptist, we find out later. Now, why would the angel tell her that? Why would he say that? I'll tell you why. Listen to me. God has just given Mary evidence to prove that what he's told her is true. I mean, look, if you're like me, if you're like Mary, you're probably seeing this angel and thinking, what in the world? Did I have a bad tuna fish sandwich for lunch or something, right? I mean, this is a little strange. Am I seeing things? Am I really hearing this? Is this really true? But the angel says, look, here's the evidence, Mary. You're Elizabeth. Elizabeth is pregnant. Go and see for yourself. And if you notice, if on verse 39, after the angel leaves, what does Mary do? Has a party, right? Goes on social media and posts it on her Facebook page. No. <laughs> Look at verse 39. Mary rose and went with haste to see if Elizabeth's pregnant. The point is, you see, we have this image in our mind of Mary as this receptive, faithful person that we could never be like. It's not true. She said, yes, God, I trust you, but she needed proof, man. And the angel gave it to her, and she went, and she walks into the house, and Elizabeth says to her, by the power of the Holy Spirit, could you imagine? They've not spoken until Mary walks in, and here's this very pregnant Elizabeth, and, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, says, could you imagine? Who am I that the mother of my God should come to me? Could you imagine? The evidence God has placed in front of her. These words are not to pat Mary on the head. It's to prove to her that what she'd just seen was true. When is the last time that God has bailed you out and shown you something in your own life to prove to you that he's real? When is the last time you prayed for something? Maybe you didn't get what you wanted, but something worked out later on down the road which was 
obvious to you as evidence to prove to you that God is real. Maybe he brought somebody into your life. Maybe he's worked out a relationship that has been stagnant or destroyed for years. Maybe he has given you a miraculous healing. I don't know. But if your eyes are open and you're willing to see the evidence God places before you, the fears and the enormity of those promises come through. I want you to think about this. I'm going to wrap up. I want you to think of a time in your own life, whenever it could have been last week, could have been 10 years ago, I don't care, where you were so convinced that things were just going to go downhill, and maybe they did, and maybe they were. But I want you to think back where you are now, and I want you to look for those little nuggets that God placed in your path to show you that all along he'd been there, that all along he was real, that all along he'd been carrying you, even when you didn't know it. I want you to, as we wait for Christ to return, the second advent, let's consider this story of Mary. She was fearful. God had promised her and you enormous things. And he worked it out and showed her later with the evidence that she could, he could be trusted, that we can have hope. See, Mary shows us that even when we fear, if we trust God and lean on his promises, which are astounding, he will give us evidence to prove his claims. That's Mary's story. What's yours? Shall we pray, Father, as we wait for Jesus to return, to turn our fears into joys, turn our insecurities into victory, to set the world to rights. Lord, as we wait for that, remind us of the enormous promises that you've given to us, even in our fears, Remind us that as followers of your Son, all things work to good, and that you provide evidence for us that prove your power. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook. Facebook.